0: The Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to The Almost Perfect Podcast. A celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, ah, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we are learning from Ange. Yep, one word, three letters, Ange. Ange is a DJ, and she is also the culture, cultural, no, the culture and network manager at Levi's House of Strauss, Africa. And she actually likes her job. She's one of the few of us out there who enjoys going to work these days. And she finds that her 15 years of experience or so in the creative industry, basically, but mostly in music, has led her here. So this podcast, we get into that 15-year history. We mostly actually learn about Angel's early days uh, as a sound engineer. Yeah, and started out in the music scene as a sound engineer and slowly but surely worked her way through many, 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 many different roles. Uh, she has been a manager for clubs. She's been managers for artists. Uh, she's, well, actually we only really get in this podcast. Okay. We actually only really get into probably like the first five years of Manager's career. So almost definitely going to be getting her back on to find out what else has happened. Because yeah, like I was saying, we, we mostly discussed her early days where she was a sound engineer. Then she became a manager at the armchair and, uh, yeah, then she slowly but surely became a DJ. And that has been the thing that has been the underlying thing that has stuck with her throughout her career. So that is what you can expect on this podcast. You can expect a nice nostalgic look at the rock scene in Cape Town over the years through the eyes of Ange. Well, not just the rock scene, but the alternative scene, I guess. And what it's like to mix bands that you've never heard before. You know, because back then it was different, man. It, like, it was so different to now when you can actually just... Listen to anything you want at any time, because it's always there. It was a little bit more difficult, a little bit more difficult back in the day. So yeah, that's what you've got to expect on this podcast today. I do need to remind you, and by remind you, I'm going to tell you for the first time on this podcast, but I've been telling people for ages that this is a podcast that is brought to you by you. That means it is a listener-supported podcast. That means you can support it by going to patreon.com forward slash almost Perfect. Cool. So yeah, how are you living? Happy New Year. Uh, It has been interesting. I'll tell you that much. I mean, we're all going through the, the thing right now. Well, I'm going through the thing right now of seeing America go through a coup. It looks like a coup. It seems like a coup. Well, it seems like an attempted coup. I don't know how successful it will be. When you're listening to this, I don't know <laughs> like exactly how the news cycle would have changed. But that is quite a way to start a year. You know, it's uh we thought last year was the one. that was everything that crazy that could happen was going to happen. But it seems like the writers of 2021 are the same writers. No, nobody got fired. Everyone's still on the team. They're back. And they are looking to stir things up just as crazy as they did last year. So... Yo, uh, if you are in America, if you're obviously in the capital, like, my thoughts are with you, um, but if you're not, this is fucking hilarious. Like, this is everything we thought that <laughs> was going to happen, and, you know, a lot of people have been saying, yo, that's what's going to happen, and people in America are like, how the fuck is this happening? And you're just like, really? Really? Do you guys not read the same articles that, like, we read, or listen to the same analysts, or just look at the fucking way things are like you haven't okay okay well that's that's your vibe then Uh, but yeah so that's huh that's quite the start to the year but for me personally oh man (laughs) not good times on new year's eve i got the phone call that i've been dreading for the last year or so you guys probably know for the last six months or so i would say Uh, but yeah my grandfather has passed away he passed away on New Year's Eve and I've been living with my grand for the last week or so trying to just help out where I can and just be company and support and yeah it's definitely an interesting way to start a year and we're going to the funeral today there's only seven of us that are going so obviously because of COVID got to keep it super 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 small and it's going to be very fucking weird like I know I know it's going to be eerie and strange I mean funerals in general are just not a good time and yeah this is I don't know what to expect out of it but I know it's not going to be fun and either way my goal for the foreseeable future is just to you know be a pillar for my gran like that is my only real goal for for now for twenty for twenty twenty one I mean I did write down some other ones last week, but at the moment that 's what i 'm focusing on, and yeah, it looks like i'm going to actually be moving in with my grand for the foreseeable future, so that's going to be interesting that is definitely going to be. something I don't even fucking know what because already like I'm noticing like some things that like might get to me a little bit like my viewing habits are now basically ENCA, SABC News, CNN and Sky News mixed in with some CSI and NCIS and then also some like other you know like documentary style murder shirts so (laughs) Not really my traditional viewing habits, and obviously I've got my computer. Well, I've got my laptop, so I can just go and watch something else if I want to. But yeah, it's been interesting watching the news with my gran and getting getting her views on things and offering mine back at times and having discussions at times. And yeah, it's I'm yeah like that's a thing. Like I'm interested in seeing. I know that this will be a good experience for me, you know, for, you know, moving in with her, even though it's obviously going to disrupt my life and everything like that. I know I'm actually going to get a lot of value getting to spend time with my gran, like at this point in our lives when I'm an adult adult and you know, she's 80. So yeah, we like, who knows how much time I have left with her. So I'm grateful that I'm at least going to get to spend a decent portion of time with her, even if some things are going to get to me. Like, ENCA, man, what the fuck is that shit? Like, you guys, have you guys seen that shit? Like, Gareth Cliff comes on there fucking smirking like he's Draco Malfoy about to say, Potter! And it's just like, what the fuck is this shit, man? Like, they, they do ads where he, like, pawns his guests or whatever, and I'm just like, what... What are we doing here, South Africa? What are we doing here? Where Gareth Clough in 2020 slash 2021 has a show where the whole premise is that he's just trying to be like Howard Stern maybe, but not even, because Howard Stern's at least fucking funny and like actually controversial and actually knew how to push buttons and stuff. Well, I guess Gareth Clough knows how to push buttons. Like, let's fucking not lie there. Like, I'm annoyed by the guy just fucking smoking. So... Credit where credit is due, Gareth Clough is good at pushing people's buttons. But other than that, like, dude offers no fucking merit. And I have to see his fucking face pop up in between like little bits of propaganda that ENCA puts out. And I'm just like, this is not, not a vibe. No, not for me. So yeah, I can see myself probably finding my own space in the house to <laughs> avoid having to see Gareth Cliff on the TV because that is that is not something I'm prepared for for 2021. And I'm sorry to those of you who have had to experience that for however long that's been going on for. Uh, in general, though, my goal, other than obviously to just stick by my gran um, this year, is to just put my fucking head down and try and make this podcast the best damn thing it can possibly be. Like genuinely, that's it. Like that's my, that's my main focus for now. I just want to make the ship bang, bro. And offer some value to you guys. And hopefully you share it and other people get involved and they dig it. And it grows and it grows. And yeah, the Almost Perfect Podcast becomes a thing in 2021. And to do that, I've actually set up a little survey. And you're gonna be able to find that survey in the show notes of this podcast or just on the social media for Almost Perfect. So that's Almost Perfect Media on Facebook, that's Almost Perfect ZA on Twitter and Almost Perfect Media on Instagram. And other than that, just if you're looking on your podcast app right now, there should be a little link there. Just click that, there's 10 questions I've asked you. And it will really help me understand what you want out of this podcast, what you enjoy about the podcast. And I can then formulate a bit of a plan going forward. Uh, you can also nominate people you want to see on the podcast or see, no, here on the podcast. And yeah, it's just a, it's a cool little way for me to know what you, what you want. I mean, maybe, maybe what you want isn't what I want and then, you know, size, so but if things line up and I'm like yeah that's a good idea and there's been a couple of good ideas already and some of you are going to be like oh he's he totally took my suggestion when I promise you there are some guests that I have lined up like in the very near future and some of you are going to be like there there was one person who nominated two people who basically have planned for like one week after the other so when that happens please know that like I, I was already kind of planning that Like one of you is going to see that and be like, oh yeah, because the survey is already up in case you don't realize. But if you don't know, please go find it. Please go (laughs) and fill it out. It will literally take two minutes and it will help me a lot going forward. And hey, the other podcast will get better and you will keep enjoying it. You'll start enjoying it even more than you do right now. Uh, Other than that, this is the part of the show where I pitch stuff to you. So, skip ahead maybe two minutes if you don't want to be sold to. Alternatively, hey, maybe you actually want to support this podcast. In which case, you can do so by buying mugs. Yes, I have mugs. They are 100 Rand each, and 10 Rand from each sale goes to dot Well, no, it goes to Saisoncare, who you can check out at Sasoncare.org.za. Now, they are a group that is by sex workers, for sex workers that is looking to decriminalize sex work in South Africa and also support sex workers in a myriad of other ways. So yeah, I like to give them a little kickback when it comes to the mugs. And so 10 Rand from every mug sale goes to them. Other than that, we've got some stickers which will be going out to patrons over on patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. Patreon, as you should probably know by now, is a platform where you can subscribe to people's content, essentially. It's totally optional. I'm always gonna put these things out for free, but you do get extra benefits if you are part of the almost perfect Patreon. And one of those benefits is that I'm going to be sending you an envelope full of stickers in the very near future. Obviously, I've had some other things to deal with, you know, like just soz. I was trying to get them out a little sooner than this, but things have been a little difficult in the perfect family household at the moment. And I can say that because my gran was born Lynette Perfect. So yeah, obviously things have been a little bit difficult there, but my gran has actually been helping me stuff some envelopes with stickers. So that's a nice little, nice little touch there. You will, when you eventually get them, some of you would have had uh, (laughs) almost perfect stickers put in an envelope by Bob Perfect's gran. What a what a treat. What an absolute treat. But that's a vibe. And then also on Patreon.com forward slash Almost Perfect, there is a section that is called the Titular Titles tier. This is the utmost tier. This is the $10 tier. And this is the tier where you can become a part of the cast and crew right here on the Almost Perfect podcast. We have a number of people that have jo- joined up there and... I obviously fucking greatly appreciate it. It is unreal to me that you're willing to turn over your hard-earned cash every month and, yeah, support this thing, man. Just help make it better. Help me get merch, you know. Help me. uh, Over the years, it's been, you know, just improving the equipment, helping me fix my computer, lots of things. Like, the money that I get from the patreon genuinely goes to this podcast and genuinely goes to making it better so thank you so fucking much to all of you who have done that and shout outs to the chief sales officer of subtle heresies in the greater Oberberg region that would be Rousseau shout outs to King Julian shout outs to the executive producer and that is Stephen Olafea shout outs to my spiritual advisor Vishendra Naidu And shout out to our resident pantsless weasel, Tyrone Love. I really, as I say, thank you just so fucking much for coming on board with the Almost Perfect Podcast in a way that matters, Like, like really matters, like puts money in my fucking pocket. So thank you so much. And if you don't want to do that or you can't do that, hey man, fuck, like I lost my job last year. I know a lot of you probably also busy looking for work at the moment. Like, I get it, man. (laughs) Like there are other ways that you can do things that can help though. Obviously rate, review and subscribe. If you are on iTunes, especially, please leave a review. It helps so much. Um, rating as well helps a hell of a lot and just letting the internet know that this is a thing that people dig it. So if you are people and you dig it and you think this is a thing, please (laughs) rate and review and subscribe. Uh, on the podcasting platform of your choice, but in specific, iTunes would help a lot. Cool, uh, I think that's I think that's everything. I think that's everything I needed to tell you. And if not, well, I'll tell you next week. I am about to head off to my grandfather's funeral and I hope you have a much better day than I do. Uh, here comes the almost perfect podcast with Ange. So how are you living Ange?
1: Really? really good at the moment yeah I've been doing a lot of soul searching and purging of toxic people from my life and all of that so I'm I'm actually in like a really good space right now which is refreshing to be able to say so I'm stoked yeah
0: yeah it's a good way to start a year being in new year new me kind of vibes and just feeling refreshed and feeling just yeah like you've got you back on track I mean I did a little bit of yoga today so I'm feeling a little like Cool. I'm getting there again. I'm getting there again when it comes to like health and mental stuff and all of that. But you're also back at work this week, right? And you're someone who actually likes their job.
1: I am. I love my job because I also am in a a place where I have a job that a lot of people don't even think is like a real job, and so it's cool and it's like interesting every single day. And so I look forward to going to work, which is something i've been like working towards my whole life
0: i take it yeah you haven't always had that have you
1: i mean i think there's been elements of like you can really love something that you do but we all wake up on some days and we're like i don't really want to go like i you know i could easily skip today how can i think of an excuse to not go in and i think this is the literally the first time in my life where i don't want any excuses i don't you know, I don't want to stay in bed in the morning. I want to go out there and, like, kick its ass. So, yeah, I think it's first time it's all kind of been encapsulated into one job.
0: And what is that job?
1: <laughs> okay. So, I am the culture and network manager for Levi's House of Strauss Africa. See, it sounds like it's made up.
0: <laughs> well, of course. It sounds like a job that could only exist, like, in the era of TikTok, you know?
1: Yeah. It's basically, so House of Strauss is a like brand within the, the Levi Strauss greater brand um, and it's a space, there's only four in the world and it's there to kind of showcase a more elevated and um, innovative side of the brand. So they do, we do customization. And we're involved with a lot of uh, sustainability because we do upcycling and reuse, reduce, recycle, all of that kind of stuff. And we, yeah, we just get to customize and try interesting things every single day in terms of the clothing side. But then the space also exists to be at the forefront of culture in whatever region it's in. So we exist as a residency for African creator expression through style. So, we are there to provide resources and work with African creators to kind of elevate them and help them with resources and opportunities that they possibly wouldn't get if they were by themselves.
0: Also, like that you said, through style and not necessarily fashion, because I know yeah. you guys have worked with people who aren't just in fashion. You work across the board and like across the yeah, the style vibe, essentially. It's not just people who are fashion designers, but people who are designers who have cool style. Like I'm I'm, in, I'm talking specifically about Hannah because we've had her on the podcast, you know, mm. and she's mm. not necessarily a fashion designer, but she was someone that you brought in to design and customize a jacket. So what's yeah. that process like? How do you pick people, you know, who you, who come in and work with you guys for a bit? And what are those kind of days like? What is the point of that even, you know, for the brand to do?
1: Yeah, so I think it was, it's very important to understand that the greater fabric for, you know, probably pun intended, the greatest fabric of the creative <laughs> industry is made up of illustrators, designers, innovative thinkers who can't necessarily make things but have great ideas, musicians, painters, dancers, photographers, every one of those skill sets is part of style and is part of culture. And so you can't just focus on fashion because that's very, it's actually quite um, isolating and exclusionary, you know, Like I would have never thought that I would work in, in the fashion industry. Technically, I do now work in the fashion industry, but it's so much bigger than that, you know? So when you're looking at representing a continent or a region like Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa and South Africa as a country, you have to understand what makes that up and who these creators are and who and what stories they have to tell. And someone like Hannah is a great illustrator, she's really interesting, she is not just your average South African, she's got you know her own heritage that's part of the South African culture and like who like with other people that we've worked with who aren't necessarily considered part of the fashion industry, all have a story to tell. And we work with people whose work their values and who they are as a person aligns with the values of the brand. So and you have to be paying attention to what's happening all over the country, all over the continent, and really see who's telling these stories authentically and who, you know, has good intentions and and really embraces their culture and, and their skill sets. And those are the kind of people that we want to work with.
0: So you, as you say, you're not really from the fashion scene and you don't really necessarily, necessarily see yourself, you know, being in fashion because you originally come from the music scene. So how did this happen?
1: Because I've always had a vast amount of interests, but I've always kept it within the music industry and found a way to kind of use my skills and fulfill all of my like curiosities within the music industry. I kind of by accident, Started picking up all of these different um, skills that together turned into basically the job description that this job had. You know, like when they put out the the brief for who they were looking for, it basically read like the last fifteen years of my life. You know, so I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is like it was really nice to be able to like show that to my parents who sp- have spent the last fifteen years going. What is this weird zigzag, squiggly path you're taking through life? It doesn't make any sense. And you're doing all these different things. Where is it going to go? How, it, how is this going to turn into something? So I think that's um,
0: very relatable for people. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. And um, I think like the, the it's usually used in a bit of a negative, well, uh, these days it's used in a bit of a negative context, but it's basically like being a unicorn in whatever role or industry you're in where it's like, it's like there's someone who can do everything. And usually you get like multiple people to do this one thing to get that role fulfilled. So it was kind of like a unicorn position. They were hoping there was someone out in the world who could be able to do all of these things successfully. And I'm just very fortunate that I keep good relationships with people, whether I'm still working with them or whether I move on. I don't really burn bridges. Um, intentionally at the very least and because of that I was in the forefront of someone's mind when this job came around they were like I was on that list which was a great compliment but that's kind of it was that opportunity where someone saw this and thought of me immediately and put me forward as a suggestion for it that was like a recognition of all of this work I've done for the last 15 years has literally got me to the point where I'm like fully and perfectly qualified for a job like
0: this and what does okay let's take it back then what are some of your qualifications what are what are some of the jobs that you've done because i know wait like i'll rattle off the ones that i know about like obviously dj manager um you've been i like assume you've been in the festival game like just in terms of putting them together in some capacity You've probably been a part of a label at some point (laughs) distributing stuff, right? uh,
1: Yeah, that's a good good and accurate assumption, so yes.
0: Yeah, so like that's the thing. You've kind of just been someone who's been behind the scenes a lot. I know you've been a tour manager for quite a few artists that I love and who we've had on this podcast before. Yeah. So how did – yeah, how did you – actually, let's take it to the beginning. How did you get into the music scene? You know, like we all – probably start off listening to terrible stuff, but when did your taste start coming in and when did you start going to shows and that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, as early as like five, I was playing my parents' records on the vinyl player on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the minute I was like, I could use the equipment without being helped, then I was allowed to touch it. So it started with my parents' records in the lounge and then... I got my first like radio cassette combo situation It was pink and white. I was probably about like seven. And then I was like taking my radio apart completely and then putting it back together to see if it still worked. Oh,
0: I've been there. You know,
1: and then doing it. And, then, like, and sometimes it doesn't still work. It doesn't work. You've messed something up. And then you just take take it apart again and put it back together, you know. So there was like this musical interest side, but there was also like this weird, like technical wanting to understand how things work kind of situation. And so when I finished high school, I was on a gap year and it was actually my dad that was like, he was reading the newspaper and he saw an advert for Cape Audio College for sound engineering. And he came to me and he was like, you really love music. You also like, and have this interest in like the technical side of it. Why don't you give Sound engineering, a try, and I was like, "Yeah, cool." You know, like just turned eighteen, didn't give a shit about anything, so I was like, yo, okay, I'll, like think about it." Went to go check out the school, fell in love. Like I was on the campus for like five minutes, and I was like, "I have to be here. This is my place," you know. So then I qualified to hmm. be a sound engineer. So that was how it all started. It was like full on, roadie grafting, hardcore. You know, I mixed live bands I was like I was at like Gandalf's mixing metal bands and I was like you know like it feels like I speak about someone else when I when I go this far back but I was like legitimately standing in a fucking metal club at like three in the morning rolling cables that were like covered in like black label and cigarette stumps and like stuff like that and like living my what I thought was like my best life at the time
0: I mean I was probably doing very similar things when I was 18 I'm not yeah. even saying probably I was yeah. like I was yeah. definitely <laughs> helping set up like shows and just learning as much as I could about how everything worked never knowing exactly which direction I was going like in everything but just always like being willing to like lend a helping hand no matter what kind of like show it was as well and like for me that was one of the coolest things it was just you get to, when you get to see a show from a sound booth, not like that I've done sound or anything, but when you put gigs together, that's usually where you land up standing. Exactly. It does give you like such a cool perspective on like everything that's happening. So I assume when you're young and you're doing sound, what's like what's going through your mind whilst you're busy mixing bands and you're busy seeing all this chaos around you?
1: Well, like up until this point, like I hadn't done anything very interesting with my life. You know, I didn't party when I was okay. in high school. Like, um, I have very, very strict parents, particularly my father. So, like, I wasn't even allowed to go to Rage because I was only 17. And I was, like, not allowed to go to parties and shit like that. I, like, bust out into the real world, like, head first, high speed. There must be something more than this kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Doing, like, the most punk badass thing I thought, like, existed in the world, which is, like, mixing live bands doesn't matter if we were in like a little hole or if we were like on a big stage whatever it was like being able to do that I was like it doesn't get better than this you know also because I started working with bands who I would used to listen to when I was in high school and that blew my mind because I used to collect the SL magazine like selection CDs I still have like pretty much all of them you know same so like that was like my introduction into South African music. And then all of a sudden I was playing I was doing shows with like bands who are who hired me to go with them to their shows. I'd be like engineering on the same lineup as like bands I've been listening to for like the past 3 years. And it was like mind-blowing. It was crazy because I was like how did this fucking dork all of a sudden becomes so cool like how did she end up here you know it was also just such an interesting time because back then more than now even back then it was like I was like the only literally the only woman doing this and I was amongst all of these dudes so it's like arriving at a show with the band and they immediately think that I'm like the bass guitarist girlfriend or something you know and having to like <laughs> but then being able to step up and do, like, a perfect sound check and just be like, what? 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 Yeah. That was it. And for me, it was like, that's kind of how everything was just exciting all the time. And it was so fun to be able to do and it. The thing
0: is, at the end of the day, all a band really cares about or should care about is if they sound good. Exactly. Like, I know even to this day, like, I've, I mean, I have know a few women sound engineers, but not many at all. And at the end of the day, you get hired if you're good. Like, mm. that's just... Well, I mean, you don't always get hired if you're good. (laughs) That's a lie. Let's be honest. There's lots of people who get hired because people know people. But (laughs) a lot lot of the time, you know, people want their shows to sound good. So you need to make sure your mix is good. But how do you, when you're mixing different kinds of, you know, genres together, Mm -hmm. how do you do that? So
1: for me, like, It's weird because like anytime you learn something that is based on like a lot of like technical stuff, it's got a lot to do with what your musical influences are. Like someone who only listens to hip hop and went to college with me is like really good at doing like recording rappers and, and doing that kind of stuff because that's what they focused on. But like from a young age, I kind of, I listened to so many different kinds of genres of music and styles and old stuff and new stuff
0: well those slcds will do that for you
1: exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's about understanding how the band is supposed to sound and that's punk snares sound very different to metal snares and like or if it's like a exactly middle, you know that kind of stuff so it's like understanding the technical side of it means makes you a good engineer because you know how to like Uh, like EQ things and change things and how to mix things. And like there's certain bands where like the baseline needs to be like really like in the front and like crisp and like a lot of, it must be sharper on the top end and not like rumbly and like melting into things. And also like understanding that when there's more people in the space, a lot of bass gets absorbed. So then you have to, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's just, if you embrace like the fact that the technical stuff is, there for a reason and exists, the science behind it will always be applied no matter what. And then you also know what all of these different genres should sound like. That's kind of how I put the two together.
0: I was gonna say, what about when you come across a band with a sound that you're not too familiar with? Like you you're not too certain. Then do you guys just talk it out? Is yeah. it like a what do you need? You know, what, what are you looking for here? And then you try just suit it to what they say they want.
1: Yeah. That definitely um did happen quite a bit especially if I was hired by a venue and they and then the lineup just happened to be what it was in that case then it was and also back then you couldn't just like open Spotify and listen to the song (laughs) you had to hope that maybe they had like a CD with them or like something like that it wasn't that easy to reference or anything so as, I suppose the band best- Yeah, man,
0: lots of bands, like, just didn't even have music out. You know, they were playing their first gigs or, like, you know, playing... Because mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. the, the, the process used to be that you would play for, like, a year or two before putting out an EP even, you know? You would write your songs, you'd take them to the club, people would either like them or not like them. So for you, that must be a bit of a nightmare.
1: Yeah. So I think it just, like, so your best case scenario there is to... Have a conversation with the band and hope that they're really nice about it and explain, like maybe give you like a comparative reference of a certain kind of band or a certain kind of bass guitarist or drummer so that you can kind of get a, an idea of what it is. And the other way is to just EQ, EQ the yeah, shit. like I really want
0: that snare on Saint Anger, yeah,
1: know? yeah, yeah. Oh, and the other way is just for them to plug in and play and you EQ and you mess around until they go, oh, this is what we're supposed to sound like. Okay, Yeah. Just trial and error. <laughs> trial and error, you know, and it was like, I did it for, I did live sound nonstop for two years. And my first year I was doing um, like on average about four shows a week. They weren't all like big band stuff. Some of it was like simple acoustic things. But for the first year, out of college, I was doing like four shows a week. Um and also, you know where you actually Damn. I used to do an open mic. That that teaches you a lot. That's what it was. I like, just remembered <laughs> we, <used to, laughs> we used to do an open mic. Oh night. Lord. Yeah.
0: Please tell me just like a story of a horrible, horrible sound check from an open mic night. <laughs> Or just a horrible sound experience with an artist, because I I I've been to some open mic nights and I've seen some egos.
1: <laughs> I think, um, as I said, because of like the whole just being a woman straight off, that there was like always like this resistance, and I think the situations that happened more often than anyone should care to admit is that I would always get blamed for something. That wasn't working but then you'd see like they hadn't put like one of the cables into like the pedal or something or like someone had pulled something out or something wasn't (laughs) switched on or something was connected incorrectly and it always ended up like it was something on my mixing desk meanwhile you know it was somewhere along the chain that someone a guitarist was like messing around or like you know something like that and it was always like really fun to be right in those situations you know because like one <laughs> of the things that you get taught when you troubleshoot is to go through the entire link from start to finish to find out where it could be broken and but no one wants to hear that because they're like oh i plug this in myself i know what i'm doing you know like uh I, and yeah and but so just that double check yeah that cockiness and that ego from someone who's literally at an open mic night it's like bro you haven't made it through any door right now and but you're arriving like your Bruce Springsteen so that was always like like a good reward for being patient with idiots was we be proven right <laughs> and I used to be like a hothead dude like I am so chilled now in comparison to who I was 15 years ago <laughs> that I'm surprised that there's not more people that hate me <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised at the number of people that hate me. To be honest, it's, I think it's the exact amount <laughs> that should. Um, but so, what what happened from sound engineering? So you did two years of live, and then yeah. where did you go from there?
1: So then I was getting into a space where it was the, the the late nights were getting to me, and like the lugging speakers around and all of that, and I was starting to be a bit antsy because it just felt like I was being dirty and tired for a living. And I wasn't, like, okay with that. I felt, because in my mind, I was going to, like, work in a studio and record, like, huge bands and that kind of stuff. And that kind of fell away completely. And then my friend, who was managing the original armchair theatre, the OG before all of the changes, original armchair theatre, she was going on kantiki tour in Europe. And she needed someone to, like, work at the club while she was gone. And because she was, like, the GM and, like, a big deal, what they did was that they hired two people to, like, split her duties. So it was this one woman, and then I was offered to take the other position. So I was like, you know what? This sounds cool. It's still working in the industry. Um, I've never, like, even worked behind a bar at this point but I was going to manage a bar and a live music venue, you know? So I was like, cool, let's give it a try. It was only going to be like two weeks. I was like, what could go wrong, you know? And I remember distinctly. So we go through all the training, cash-ups, all of that. i meet the whole team, chilled. And we were like, the armchair was like a 300-person venue that would squeeze like 500 people in because there were no rules back then. We didn't even have a bouncer. We had... A doorman, you know?
0: <laughs> I know venues quite like that, yes. yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've all, we all know venues like that. And so all of a sudden, I was a night, I was a club manager, a venue manager, basically. And yeah, so like the two, week, two weeks went really well, but like it was literally like getting thrown into the deep end hardcore because the first night that I worked was Goldfish and Tate.
0: I don't know Tate.
1: It was like an acoustic rock kind of situation. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay, cool. I feel you. I feel you. But like they were huge back then. Both acts. So like an hour before the venue opened, there was a queue down the block. My first night. And I am like shitting bricks at this point because I'm like, cool. I thought it would be like ease into it. Clearly not. Huge nights, clock a massive turnover, sell out of everything, just like, like an amazing experience. And yeah, that was kind of like how, like how I got into it. And then when my friend came back from Europe, I actually found out that what they were doing was looking for a new manager. And they were testing the two of us out to see kind of the situation because my friend was going to leave the club at some point. And so then <clears throat> I got hired as the night manager so the person who worked in the club and then the other woman got hired as like the more administrative like day manager and she would work some shifts so i didn't have to work nights all the time and then i was the manager of the armchair theater for like a year and a half and i was 21 years old (laughs) (laughs) so that was wild
0: (laughs) oh that must have been chaotic
1: Mm. and that is the place that is the place where I have all the stories from. And that is the place where I've met a lot of the people in the music industry that I have known for the longest time I met while I was running that place. You
0: made like connections there whilst just essentially jawling and having the best time of your life that you didn't know would carry on for the next decade at least.
1: Oh yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. It's fascinating because... If I'd known, like, if I was more, like, self-aware in the moment, I probably would have, like, written down some of the things that happened or, like, found some way to immortalize that because it was before social media, at, the way it is now, specifically, yeah. you know. I didn't get Facebook for the first three years that it existed because I was like, this is not a thing. This is dumb. You know, <laughs> like, I was one of <laughs> those my space? <laughs> I was on MySpace, yes. I was on
0: MySpace. Yeah, so same. Yeah.
1: And so I was was
0: like, I was on MySpace, and I was like, Facebook isn't going to be a thing. That's just for you know, like preppy college like kids in America. Yeah. And yeah. Now we see see where that went.
1: Now who's the fool? (laughs) And um, so I had to get (laughs) Facebook for the club because we started making like event pages and shit like that, and I had to have access to that. So that's why I got Facebook. But we didn't have, there wasn't like Instagram and all of that. So we didn't have the, a way to capture all of these stories and like archive things and look back on it, you know. and But it was nice because we were living completely in the moment every single day. A lot of it was hazy, but we were always in the moment, and then, <laughs> you know. And I mean, things like have the story about like Waddy Jones, you know, like lo- lo- long before the Antwoord, like did a show with us at the club and like at the end of the night I have like this beautiful memory of him coming into my office and we were counting the door money and he just sat down like in the corner squeezed between me and the safe and like on the floor while I was counting the money, just like telling me stories. And it was like three o'clock in the morning, just like (laughs) shooting the breeze, like chatting shit, you know. I was in that moment with this dude who's now like fucking mutated into like this whole other thing. And it's hard to believe that it's the same person and that that thing even happened, which is why I said earlier, it feels like I talk about, I'm talking about someone else when I talk about these things.
0: Well, that's, yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. and so It's also like, I can definitely relate there because I look back at, yeah, about the 2008, you know, onwards kind of, maybe 2006 even like to like 2012 as like being like this, period of time that so much stuff was happening and the internet was becoming a bit of a thing and like social media was kind of happening, but really a lot of stuff was just happening organically, you know, like it was people telling each other about the next gig, people handing out flyers at the gigs. So that's how you knew what was happening next weekend and like finding out about bands because they came up to you and were like, Hey, come to my show next week. You're like, exactly. oh, well, I guess I'm going to come to your show next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It was like so tangible and it was so personal. Like getting a flyer in your hand or seeing someone put a poster up. Like we used to do flyer and poster runs where I would catch a taxi to Rondebosch and go plaster everywhere where all the students, the, all the UCT students were like living and partying and eating and all of that. And then I would walk from Rondebosch all the way back to OBS. And, like, stick flyers in post boxes and, like, put posters on bus stops and, like, just flyer and poster bomb any surface. And no one, like, stopped me. And I would spend an entire day by myself with my backpack and all of this shit just doing this. And that was, like, how we promoted our shows and our parties.
0: Yep, I've been there. I've done exactly what you're describing, literally. Like, just walking around with a backpack full of flyers and just getting them out there like, just walking, like, going to the beachfront and just handing out flyers for the whole day. Like, oh, man, bringing big memories.
1: Yeah, and it's, like, it was so nice because if you you gave it to people, you'd, like, talk to them about the party and they'd have, like, this personal connection. They, like, thought you were cool. They were, like, there's no way this party is going to be shit. This person is so interesting and was, like, so friendly and fun. And, like, so you kind of were, like, recruiting people into, like, this one night only cult of coming to see your show you know and like it was like the ultimate elevator pitch because you literally had like a few seconds to get someone to take the flyer and keep it and not like throw it away or drop it on the ground or say they don't want one you know like you really have to be like a good yeah. interesting salesman
0: but you're gonna pick your targets pretty well as well yeah yeah, like, yeah. You know, you're not necessarily going to go to, like, the 40-year-old belly in the checkered shirt, you know? No offense to the 40-year-old people who listen to this podcast because I (laughs) put out a survey, and I now know that there are quite a few of them. So shout-outs to you guys, to the geriatric crew. Appreciate your support. (laughs) So from Armchair?
1: Well, Armchair, what happened at Armchair is that's where the DJing started. So it was kind of like a crossover because okay yeah what
0: what made you start DJing
1: I used to make the playlists for the nights well for between the bands and all that kind of stuff because like not every night had a DJ playing so I used to make playlists for that and we also used to do like, movie nights and comedy nights so we would need um, like music playing in the back so I would just like burn CDs <laughs> shout out to <laughs> all my gen Z's listening I to burn CDs <laughs> And we had one of them. I've still got
0: a giant case full of them. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and we used to have one of those like multi CD CD players that had like could take like ten discs, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, like the high end club system. <laughs> and so I would just every few days I'd burn like a bunch of CDs, and we'd have folders of the vibe of the night so you knew whatever bartender was working whoever was on duty you could go like it's the softcock acoustic night go to the cd kind of thing you know. What I mean? um, <laughs> and then people would ask who was making the mix cds you know which is obviously the ultimate compliment on like the whole of the planet is to if someone definitely asks who's playing the music and I remember it quite distinctly. The first time I saw properly in person what DJs can do and like the power of that was just we had like this dance party night and a bunch of people came in to play and there was this one guy I can't even I can't remember his name now I'm so sorry but it's been a long time but he just he played <laughs> like t- like a too many DJs style vibe you know like okay jumping around genres and just like making it fun and all of that. And I was like, wow, this dude gets paid to play the kind of music that I make playlists of. I see some sort of like loophole here for me. I see like a jump into the future. And so because I ran the club, I had access to the DJ gear. So then I just started practicing and like messing around, um, getting good. And then I showed my boss the owner of the club, that I could DJ. And I said to him, please, can you let me actually play at one of the shows? I was like, I don't want any money. I just want to, like, show you that I can do it. And, and he was like, oh, I don't know, like, we've got people. And I was like, cool, what I'm going to do is <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to negotiate my way around this, which is I'm going to play a 100% South African music set at the Fork of Polisikar acoustic show so that it's like full south african pride let's do it no one else that we hire can do that that was my loophole and he's like you know what i'm going to let you do it just because i want to see it i don't think you can do that because at the, oh, back then like you couldn't get as much south african music as you can now so it was a lot harder but i had my yeah. slc yeah, collection <laughs> i had my <laughs> SLC collection so I
0: was like, this is going to be. Hot. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I have busted out the SLCD collection when I've DJed like 100. <laughs> percent Like there, there are some, there are some hidden gems that people just can't find anywhere else. <laughs> like that's what I loved about it back in the day. Like with making your own mix CDs, but also yeah, with finding different mixes. Like just even like the African dope mixes, yeah. you know, the Blunt Magazine mixes. Although those weren't necessarily as good, or like. I guess the quality of the music on them wasn't as good enough to like really be able to DJ with. But anyway, that, that's just a personal grab because there were some like the punk bands back in the day really needed slightly better recordings. And yeah. I feel like you could have helped them. Yeah. You could have helped them if you hadn't know, become a DJ. Them.
1: I abandoned them <laughs> for greener pastures of playing other people's music. <laughs> 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 yeah, so like basically, I did it and I killed it, and my boss was like, "Okay, whoa." And then he let me be one of the residents for our Wednesday night student nights, which, and that's where you really cut your teeth is playing for drunk 16 to 18 year olds. That's really where you learn how to do everything. And then.
0: You learn how to play the hits.
1: Yeah, No, like you just, you know, you can, the surprising things work and like the things you think will work don't. But like, it was just practice for me at this point. I was like, I just, this is fun for me. I feel like there's something here. I've got to do it, you know? And then this is probably the first real heartbreak that I've experienced in my entire life is that we went, we closed on the weekend of Ramfest, so that all of our staff, everyone could go support the bands who usually play in the venue. So we all go to Ramfest and we come back from Ramfest and we have our staff meeting on the Monday and the owner tells us that the club's never opening ever again. And none of us have jobs anymore. And I was like,
0: that's a bit of a fucking oh, shit. move."
1: Oh, 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 oh. And yeah, so that was like wild. We left on Friday and we were all employed in like one of the best live music venues in the country. And we came back. From and one, all
0: feeling good about going to this festival together. Yeah. Like, as and supporting unit, what, as one, of the,
1: one of the best festivals in the country. Like, really so patriotic to live South African music. And to come back and have, like, this carpet ripped out from under us, you know. Because what we weren't told was, like, how, in, like, how badly the club was doing financially. And that it couldn't stay open. Which is just, like, so sad. But then, as we did, it is. It's
0: just, it's just like a little bit of honesty sooner might have helped. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know how you approach those kind of situations anyway. It but was.
1: It was a coward. You've got to do
0: right by your staff. But yeah. Sheesh.
1: It was a cowardly move. Um, and I can say this openly because I said this very drunkly to him one to the owner one <laughs> night many years later when I was still very angry with him because that's how I used to deal with my emotions get drunk and then shout at someone about something <laughs> but then it was like a, a bubble burst because none of us knew what to do and it was the first time that I that I had to like consider my parents motivation for me to get like a real job because I was screwed because I literally like no retrenchment package just sorry the place is closed <laughs> you have to find another job but at the same time that this was happening it was... Beginning of the assembly. The assembly had just opened or was just opening in that same year, right? And so that's a little piece of information we can keep in the back of our minds for now while I tell the rest of this. So then I went and got a real job, like a whole ass office job, right? It was the first job interview (laughs) that I the first job interview I'd ever been to. I was, I think I was about to turn 23 and the extent of my wardrobe was free promotional t-shirts from either bands or alcohol brands like <laughs> you know because that's all i ever needed to wear you know you didn't need to so have
0: you so you wore the button up smirnoff to, yeah. to the interview
1: you know and all of a sudden i was like going to get an office job but it was still in the music industry because it was at like a event technical company that hired up gear and everything i got the job and i was basically just like a administrative assistant in this company and and like doing quotes for hiring stuff and managing inventory and that kind of stuff and it was really lovely because i made a a lot of friends there my boss was amazing but it was like not me but it was like what i had to do was a was the first Moment in my life where I had to do something that I didn't really want to do because otherwise I would have to move back home. And that wasn't an option. (laughs) And that lasted for like 18 months. But while I had this job I didn't realize that all of this play play DJing that I'd been doing at the armchair that real people who throw parties and were, were paying attention to what I was doing and I got called by Graham Kennedy to fill in. Oh. Yeah. Graham Paul Kennedy phoned me or messaged <laughs> me or something and asked if I could fill a slot at Mercury Manic Monday because they didn't have a DJ for the opening. And I was like, oh my God, hectic. I'd never gone to, <laughs> to Mercury Manic Monday. Cause I was always working at the club. But, so I you're not, it, you're, but you're I, not
0: playing on home turf.
1: But I knew about it. But I'd never played anywhere outside of the club that I managed. So yeah. like I was like basically like a bedroom DJ, and the bedroom was my club. And that was. But crazy.
0: that's you know that's a pretty good place to get some practice. yeah. Like, yeah.
1: You know? That was really terrifying to me. But I did it because I was like, fuck it. Like this looks like I'm gonna be a real DJ. So I went and I played like the first hour and a half. And that's when people are arriving and starting to get drunk or anything. But like people were vibing and it went really well. And then I think he asked me to fill in like a few more times and then I got offered then I got offered the residency. I got offered to be one of the residents. And that's how I became the resident th- that DJ. That quickly, damn. Yeah. Well, I'm very good, apparently. <laughs> it's taken me 15 years yeah. to be able to say that without like wanting to vomit afterwards. But clearly, I was a lot better than I realized, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like If other people are putting you on, that uh, clearly means that you're doing something right. Yeah. So you now become a resident DJ, DJing's your life. Yeah. What's, what's the next stage?
1: So I quit my day job because I hated it and it was getting in the way of the DJing because I would play it till like four in the morning and then I'd have to be at work at eight. And then I became a full-time DJ. And after the Mercury residency got me, gave me enough balls to approach the assembly to try and start playing there. Because at this point they were like going full swing, but there wasn't like an easy way in. And this is a lesson in perseverance whoever's listening, this is how you do things stall to today. My very good friend, Angelo, was the sound engineer for Folk of Polisikar. And Fanko cartel and A. King were doing a show at the assembly, and I wanted to DJ at the assembly. Because on the band nights, up until this point, they just played music off an iPod. They didn't have DJs playing oh. before, between, and after the bands. So I recognized a gap And I also used my personal connection as an advantage. So so Angelo was on tour with Fokof and I messaged him and I was like, please ask the band if I can DJ at this show. And obviously this was a weird request because DJs weren't really playing at band shows at this point. It wasn't like a common thing. And so he spoke to the band and they were like, cool, they want to know what kind of music you're going to play. So because you can't make playlists, there wasn't streaming services or anything. I wrote a whole list. I just wrote the song names of the kind of music I would play at the show. And I sent it to him. And the band was like, cool. We don't know that she's actually going to do this, but this is an impressive list of songs. Let's let her do it. And I offered, this was the bad thing, but it turned out good in the end. I offered to play for free. That's how badly I wanted the opportunity.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's what many people do. And you know what? It works like it often does if you like it's different when you offer to play for free versus people asking you to play for free.
1: That's true. That's true. And I only did it once and just to get in. So then we the show comes yeah, around I for
0: free a million times. Yeah.
1: So the show comes around, it's my like first time I get to play at the assembly, I meet Blaze that night. I play before, between and after the bands. After the bands is like a dance floor. And everyone's having a good time. And Francois van Coke came to me while I was playing and held his hand out and shoved 500 rand into my hand and said, we cannot not pay you after this. And I was like, oh my God, I did it. I fucking did it. Oh my God, I fucking did it. And then after that, set at the end of the night, Blaze came to me and was like, who are you? What is this? We want you to play at the assembly. And that's how I kind of unintentionally became like the resident for band nights at the assembly. And in the height of that, I was playing twice a week at the assembly sometimes and every Monday night at Mercury. And there was a lot of DJing and it was still in like, not in like the big scope of like big DJs at festivals and all that kind of stuff. I was just like a resident at two clubs in the city and I was super happy. Yeah, I mean,
0: that, that's good know? work.
1: Yeah.
0: It's good, honest work. Yeah, exactly. Like it genuinely is. Yeah. And it's like, it's consistent and it's fun. Like you get to set the tone, you get to set the vibe before the party. Like it's, you know, an honor to be like a resident DJ and a good resident DJ Like I remember Burn, where there were times where it was good and there were times where it was bad, and you could kind of tell who was DJing. Yeah, yeah. Like compared for your particular taste, but that was a rock club that actually had DJs from the get go because I don't. Well, they didn't have live music, I guess, as much. Like they, they, their student nights would just be like DJs essentially, but it would be resident DJs at the club, and you're like. I got you got put onto some really really dope stuff, but then also there were some dance floor clearers. Do you ever, yeah, accidentally clear the dance floor at the assembly or even at Mercury?
1: Try to think. I think it's gonna be sound so cocky if I say no. I've definitely. (laughs) It's like never. I'm. Um, (laughs) I would say that I've definitely played songs bad enough to make a lot of people leave, but I've never cleared the dance (laughs) floor entirely. And I've done like a a quick like rewind out and bring in something that I know will make people happy.
0: Oh, is that is that the trick, eh? Yeah.
1: Don't, don't, don't train records to the point where like if you see it's not working, just dip out, play something else, swallow your ego, admit that you were wrong, play another song, make people happy. Like in that situation, it just gets more and more awkward. And then everyone's staring at you, and everyone's mad, and you never want to be that person.
0: That's great advice. I've definitely been the person people are staring at and just being like, "What is this? Mm-hmm. Why are you playing this song right now?" I've I have been there a few times.
1: Yeah. But I suppose there's a
0: reason why you 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 went on to become a successful DJ, <laughs> and I did not.
1: I think it also depends where you are. Like, if it's just. If you just have bad luck and they're shit people, then play your song. But if you made a mistake <laughs> and you know that you've made a mistake, you just gotta let it go and like swallow your pride and go. Because essentially, you're there to have fun. That's why you're there. You're there to have fun, and if you're having fun, the people there will have fun. And I cannot imagine that it's still fun for you if everyone's walked away. And you're like sweating, and your your heart is racing. That doesn't sound fun to me. Just choose another song that will be fun for everybody.
0: Uh, that is some great advice for up and coming DJs. Mm. Just if it's not working, just choose a different song. And there's it's probably some relationship advice there as well. Yeah. <laughs> just some advice on a on a more, on a larger level.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think my success is boiled down to the fact that I've never cheated. DJing as a job
0: okay that's interesting
1: Yeah, I've always understood that it's this beautiful career that you can have but I've never treated it like with an attitude of like a 9 to 5 where like I've put the pressure on it to be to deliver all of these things I'm like I get to party for a living I get to make people happy while I'm happy too and I get to play music all the time why would I do that begrudgingly? You know, Why would I put some sort of pressure on that that shouldn't be on it? I will only do shows that I really want to do and I'll only play in places that I know that people that go there like music. And that sounds like such a weird thing, but they are basically <laughs> like, what do you mean people would go to a party and they don't like music? That is like a real thing. And then they make it Yeah, I've been to quite know? a few
0: of those events. Yeah. Like a Milky Chant event, you know? <laughs>
1: Like that's not the part.
0: <laughs> that kind of part.
1: Exactly. And so <laughs> that attitude is kinda of, got got me through like the most difficult time. And I think that's really where my longevity came from is like just making it fun all the time and not doing it if it's not gonna be fun.
0: And so from then DJing's just been a part of your life. Like it's just been this career that you've always had alongside other things that you've done.
1: Yes. Yes, and I think that's what's quite interesting about it is, like, I'm career DJ because I have kept my career going for 15 years, but I'm not, like, it's not the only thing that I am, and it's not the only thing that I've, I've done, and that's also why I, why I do so many other things is to, to maintain that purity and that of the fun of DJing. And because I'm, I'm like, yeah. I have so many interests. I'm pretty sure that that there was some sort of like undiagnosed ADHD or something like that because I want to do so many things all the time because that's how I, <laughs> I deem my life interesting. It's to always have like, if I'm if if I'm tired of doing this and there's like ten other things that I can do and I'm never bored. But yeah. yeah, DJing. Has I relate been there. fully. Yeah, it's always been there. I think the. Aside from 2020, the longest break that I've taken from DJing in 15 years is like three months. And I only did that because I was playing too much and it was starting to not be fun and I wanted to miss it. So then I basically just went on a hiatus and after about three months, I was like, I really miss it. And then I came back again.
0: Yeah, I had that with setup comedy, although it was for longer than three months. It was probably like a year, year and a half, where I was just like, I'm... Um, I'm cool. Like, this is too much for me. I'm not enjoying this. And then I got asked, like, I was in Joburg for a conference that I was a panelist on. And someone, Simi, actually, I think, Simi RF asked me if I wanted to come do five minutes at Kitchener's. And I was like, you know what? Hell yeah, I want to do five minutes at Kitchener's. And from there, I was just like, cool. Um, I love this. This is everything I need again. But sometimes you really need that break, like, to just reset things but how are you feeling now with the pandemic are you itching to get back on the decks or has it made you go i'm cool with the way things are
1: yeah so i haven't played a real like proper show since march 2020 not uh, like i've turned down about 20 shows after like the lockdown eased and everything i've definitely said no to at least 20 shows I just, I'm not comfortable in at this time doing shows where I know that I'm promoting behavior that could lead to people getting sick. I've had, yeah. had this conversation a lot of times because obviously super spreader, play grave level stuff, we all get to be angry at that. But I also equated it to the fact that I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I have an income and I have a job. And so I have some security. So if there are shows that are available, I'd rather DJs who who rely on the money just from DJing let them do those shows rather than me just getting priority on those shows because of what level I am in my career and my reputation and my connections, you know. And so that was kind of my approach is like I won't – I don't wanna be I don't wanna be on the wrong side of history. I don't wanna be responsible for someone getting sick and inadvertently making someone else sick who then dies. That's not the right side of history for me. I can wait, I can take a break.
0: But in terms of getting back into it, how are you feeling about that? Have you been itching like you know, how's how's the break been? Like how's it made you feel about DJing?
1: I get sad that I that I can't DJ because I love it so much. But I'm also know that I've had such an amazing career and so many years of like fun parties and I've played every major festival in the country that it would it's like I get mad at myself for being so selfish because the world's in like this hectic place so I would I will jump into playing as soon as there's a vaccine readily available and we know that people have a chance to be more safe then I will start playing again so I'm ready like if that call comes tomorrow and the whole world is cured like I'm ready to go but I'm also more than happy to wait until it is the right time and hope that people still
0: have you been worried that it'll affect your bookings
1: no because a struggle for relevance is not a real thing when you've when you've established your reputation and people like you for a very particular reason I, was, I used to be worried about that when I was young. Like The first time I took a break, I was like, no one's going to care who I am in three months' time. But I have two online radio shows. I still work in the industry. People are asking me for help and advice all the time. I'm constantly involved in things. I make playlists. I share music all the time. I'm still part of this. It's not like I've moved to the middle of nowhere and have no internet and people will forget about me. I'm just, I'm playing a different role within the space of who Ange is right now. And I get to kind of invest and I get to pay attention to what's happening a lot more and like listen to people and offer advice and and be mentored and be a mentor for people. And I think that that I wouldn't have the time to do that and I wouldn't be able to be as invested if I was still playing a couple of shows a week every single week. So I think, it, yeah, I don't, I'm not worried about... People caring who I am in six months time, a year time because if it gets to a point where they don't care who I am and no one wants to book me then I've got um, all these other amazing things in my life I'll just be like cool I inadvertently got thrown into retirement and I can make five comebacks like the springbok nude girls and it'll be fine I have not made any announcements (laughs) saying that I'm not a DJ anymore I will I will DJ until my ears stop working you know, that's kind of, that's it.
0: Cool. Well, with that, uh, I think we're going to end things there. So thank you so much for your time tonight. This has been a wonderful look at a little bit of history in Cape Town because I've had these conversations with people in Durban, you know, about the Winston and Burn and stuff like that. But kind of hearing about the history of armchair and a little bit about Mercury and assembly through your experiences with them has actually been like really cool experience. So thank you so much for sharing everything with us.
1: I mean, I appreciate it. Like when you messaged me about this, like the, that wasn't like feigned excitement. I was really excited about this because (laughs) also no one talks to me about those years in my life anymore. Unless it's, unless it's like a very specific like story that gets relayed and I don't get to like, remember the amazing times and I don't really take a lot of stock in like how I progressed in the beginning and my successes, you know, it kind of all feels like it just happened and I'm here now. And so this was actually really lovely for me because it's also people are gonna, there's people who know me now that don't know any of this and they're going to listen to this and be like, okay, wow, cool like this is a whole other life this is a whole other person and so i appreciate being able to talk about that
0: It's kind of the thing with being in your 30s hey yeah. is you actually have like your 20s yeah. you have like this period of time that people don't know about like they just see you as this fully formed person now meanwhile you went through like all these things to get there so yeah like as i say, it's been a wonderful journey yeah
1: it's like i was cool once like i did cool shit. No, I think my other thing is is like my my problem is is like I'm 35 years old everyone thinks I'm 28 and I behave somewhere between 24 and 30 depending on the day of the week so it's very confusing to have this old whole old life that exists and the other thing is and I said this <laughs> I said this to one of my friends the other day I was like the only time people ask me questions or want to like interview me is when there's something... Scandalous happening and they want my opinion on it. and I was like, I just want someone to ask me something cool about my life and I get to tell them how fun my life is and all this shit and then you message me and I was like, I manifested this finally. <laughs> no one wants to know what I think about this discrimination or this gender bias or like this cancelling of this person. someone just wants to know what i did in my 20s (laughs) this is it so
0: yeah well people want to know that stuff from you they can google i know it came up a little bit in the research but i figured maybe let's well if if it came up you know we would have gone that way but these things go the way they go i don't
1: wanna i don't wanna i don't wanna (laughs) i speak about it enough This was perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and your amazing podcast. So thank you so much.
0: Cool. Thank you. Also, I just appreciate everything you've done. Because we're going to have to catch up again sometime because I know there's a whole other period that we didn't even get to yet. So we'll we'll discuss that in a couple of years' time. And we'll also look back on what you've been doing now. Yeah. And hopefully it'll all be quite fondly.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, dude.
0: Cool. (laughs) Cheers, yo. Cheers.